I want to thank the praise team for leading us in worship and song. Uh, I love that last song. I think Josh sings that song about every time he leaves. I may be wrong, but uh, but he he likes it too. So um, and I I will miss you a lot, Elijah. You know, I stand right over here and I watch him. You know, when he plays, some of you don't get to see him play like I get to see him play. I mean, the guy's like, he's like a virtuoso. Um, he's like, he's just so fluid. He's like water over there. I mean, he's just, he's just, you know. So I'm praising God for the, the few years you've been with us. How long have you been with us? Uh, two years and a half. Okay. It's been a great blessing and we hate to see you go, but, but uh, the Lord must have a place for you to play drums in the UK. So, uh, Thanks for serving the Lord here with us. So I'm sure you all can finish this sentence. Uh, it's a human maxim, common sense kind of thing. Seeing is what? Seeing is believing. It's, it's just common sense. It's just real life. Most of humanity needs to see to believe. Um, but if you know your Bible, it's not like that with God. In fact, God more or less turns that maxim on its head. His formula is different. Um, God calls His people to a higher place. We talked about it Tuesday night at Young Adult Bible Study as we looked at Hebrews 11.6. God defines faith and then He illustrates it for us in that great chapter. And what is it that pleases God? What is it that He says in Hebrews 11.6? Does anybody remember? There's, there's many ways to answer that question, but God is explicit in Hebrews 11.6. What is it that pleases Him? Faith. So I'll just stop and ask, how much, does, how much faith does it take you to live every day when you get up? Are you, pushing, are you pushing the envelope of faith in your life? Are you pushing that envelope of obedience in your life? You know, this is how we, in my view, principally pursue God. It's in obedience. Glad, reckless, joy, obedience. So, God says, I delight in faith. I delight in it when my people believe I'm God and they believe I'm good. Hebrews 11.6. They believe I'm a rewarder. Right? I love it when my people believe me like that. It's really what Hebrews 11 is about. You know, most people are playing Christianity. You know, it's a game with them. It's like, well, I do a little bit on Sunday. That's good enough for me. Listen, God's not interested in that. I tell you, almost every Sunday... God wants His people to believe and then go do. How many times a month do I tell you? It's all about the doing. The believing is salvation. The doing is discipleship. We're called to it. We're called to it, beloved. We're called to it. You know, we looked at John 11 some weeks ago. And you remember, Jesus came to, to, to bring Lazarus out of the tomb and Martha protested and said, Lord, there'll be a stench. And what, what did the Lord Jesus say? Anybody remember? 
Those famous words in John 11. He said, Did I not say to you, if you believe what? You will see what? The glory of God. You say, Jim, I don't see any glory of God in my life. Then I'll say to you, you're not believing. And you're not acting on what you know God has called you to do. Christianity is so simple. Believe. Obey. We're saved by faith. And then we obey by faith. Right? <laughs> it's so simple. I, I know many denominations try to make it real complicated, but it's just simple. I believe Jesus is the Christ. And by faith I'm saved. And I believe He's a good God. He's a rewarder God. And by faith I obey. It's just... Yeah, if you can count to two, you can do it. Two things. Christianity is very simple. So it's this principle in the Word of God. With Jesus Christ, believing is seeing. Born again, Christians aren't called to believers for nothing. God means for us to actually believe what we say we believe. And if we believe what we say we believe, we will be doing what we say we believe. Again, we won't simply be churchgoers. We'll be word doers. This kind of thing... Uh, let me tell you how, how, it, how I understand this. Uh, I've been doing this for a while. This is... Uh, this sequence that at least it happened in my life. Maybe it'll be maybe it's different in your life, but I think it's the same for all of us. This sequence that happens. Once we're born again, we talked about several weeks ago, John 3 3, and we exercise God's gift of faith and God's gift of repentance, then we truly begin to desire God. Amen? And in desiring God, we begin to really and earnestly pursue God. And in pursuing God, we get to know God. And in getting to know God, we begin to understand that we can trust God. And in learning to trust God, we learn we can unconditionally obey God. And in obeying God, you guys know the payoff. We talk about it all the time. We encounter God in a new and deeper way as we push that envelope of faith and encountering God, we begin to desire God all the more. So it's this sequence, this cascading sequence that never ends in the maturing believer's life. It's always getting more of God through our obedience, through our believing and our doing. As we are what we're called to be, that is the disciples of Jesus Christ. Again, Hebrews 11, the, de the definition of faith, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then God says, without faith you cannot please Me. You cannot please Me, the Lord says. And then Hebrews 11, um, <clears throat> so, People like me standing in places like this can't dumb down what faith means. You know, some people would say, well, it's just believing the facts. Well, if you actually read Hebrews 11, when you look at God's definition of faith and you look, and you look at um, how He illustrates it, it's like 
He doesn't want guys like me to be able to stand in a pulpit and tell you something, uh, yeah, to dumb it down. He gives 16 named examples. He says, that's what it looks like in real life. That's what faith looks like in real life. You say you have faith, it looks like that. It looks like Noah. It looks like Abraham. It looks like David. Okay? It looks like Rahab. That's what it looks like. If you have faith, it looks like that. I mean, it's clear. God doesn't want you to understand, uh, misunderstand. He doesn't want me to misunderstand what faith is. What God's definition of faith is. Again, it's simply not believing historical facts. There's that great... And listen, I'm going to have a little bit of a long introduction because the text is really simple, okay? So don't despair or get worried, okay? Um, there's that great contrast in Hebrews 11. You may remember verse 34. Some escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 37. Some were put to death by the edge of the sword. So, if we believe God, will we be Stephen or will we be Daniel? Daniel was delivered. Stephen was stoned. That's not our concern. I want to say this to you. It's not your concern. Your concern is to obey God. Don't you love Christianity? God saves us, and all we have to do is obey. It's really simple. <laughs> you know, you know you, when you study the, the so-called world religions, and, and you look at all the goofy things they have to do, and they have to say, the places they have to go, blah, blah, blah. You know, Christianity is so beautifully simple. Believe! What do we obey? The 66 books of the Bible. This is the Word of God. This is what we do. This is how we live. So those men and women in Hebrews 11, yeah, they are true hedonists. Now, what, what does the word hedonist mean? I bring this up on occasion. Uh, it's important. What, is, what does the word hedonist mean? It's the pure pursuit of pleasure. Now, it's almost always used in a negative context. But in a Christian context, you and I are the consummate hedonists because we understand the greatest human pleasure. His name is Jesus Christ. We won't settle for all the stuff in the world that's vying for our attention. Yes, it. It's real and it vies for our attention. But we've met Christ. We will not settle anymore. No more. I'm a hedonist. I'm, the, I'm a spiritual hedonist. <laughs> I love Jesus Christ. He is my treasure. He is my pleasure. And listen, if you have any pleasure above Jesus, then I... I don't think you're converted. I don't think you've met Him yet. Because once you meet Him, He will be your consummate treasure and your consummate pleasure. John's real clear in John 20.31. The point of Him writing this Gospel is that you might believe. And that believing you might have life. Right? <laughs> and it's all the same thing. You know, we believe and we're saved. 
And then, and then we believe what He says and we go do what He says. And in, in believing, we get life. And in doing, we get more life. You say, Jim, my, my Christian life's not very vibrant. I say, it's on you. It's not on God, it's on you. I don't find it stimulating. It's on you. If your Christian life is not stimulating, then you are not looking at the living God. You're looking at some caricature or you're not paying attention. Or you become distracted with something in the world. <laughs> he gives us life and then He invites us into bigger life through obedience. One thing about it's one of the lessons of Hebrews 11. These guys, they get God. They get more of God. God shows up. I know this is something I say all the time, but this, God, this is what He does. He shows up in the lives of His people as we obey Him. So I, I, I'm going to get into the text in just a minute. But I just want to say this. John 10, 27. It, it's kind of my summary of really the, the book of John and, and even really the whole Bible. Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice. They know Me and they follow Me. So there you go. I, we'll just, I'll leave that with you. Is that true in your life? I'm not asking you if you get baptized. I'm not asking you if you prayed a magic prayer. I'm not asking you if you've done a lot of church ordinances. I'm not asking you if you have perfect attendance at church. I'm not asking any of that. I'm asking you, do you know Him? Do you love Him? And do you follow Him? That's what I'm asking. Because that's the criterion according to the Son of God. My sheep... There's a relationship. It's real. It's every day. They hear me and they follow me. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and the Lord, you know, this is, a, this is an unqualified statement. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you understand every last detail of what I'm calling you to do, or if it makes sense in a temporal way, or if it's convenient or easy or comfortable or risk-free, He doesn't say any of that. He says, my people follow me. And if we know the Bible, we know our church history, we know that many have followed Him to martyrdom. Most likely, none of us in the parts of the world that we're from or live will never face that. Some of you might face that. I don't know when you return to your, your home country. But can I say this? And I hope you know this is true, at least academically, that if that moment ever came for you, Christ would be enough. Christ would be sufficient. Christ would reveal Himself to you in such a way that it would be pure joy. Read your church history. It's documented in the martyrdom of some of the famous, some of the famous men and women of the church. How they lost their life with joy. Most of us will probably never be called to that. Well, let me ask you this. How easy do you give your joy away? <laughs> I see guys lose it because they get a flat tire. I mean, really? <laughs> you know, really? A flat tire is all it takes? And I won't confess my own sin before you how things bother me that are so, yeah, embarrassing. 
we know God. Everything else is, are just details. We know God. We are the adopted children of God. Jesus said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Seeing is believing. That's easy. But for us, believing is seeing. It's what God expects. It's what God expects from His people. Turn with me real quick, if you would, over to Hebrews 11. And I promise I'm going to get to the text. Hebrews 11, just real quick. Uh, Tuesday night, we, we picked Moses out of the crowd. And let me just begin in verse 24. Um, this snippet about Moses. Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, I want you to notice what Moses is doing. What is he doing? He's refusing the privilege that was offered to him, and he's choosing to be uh, associated with the people of God because he considers the reproach of Christ greater riches than all Egypt had to offer him. He was a prince. He was a prince of Egypt. He had the world at his feet. He had everything at his feet. Everything was his. Everything within his view he could claim. He was a prince. It meant nothing to him compared to God. I just want to ask you, is this how it is with you and Jesus? <laughs> it doesn't mean that we can't prize temporal things in the right way. We can. We can. You know, I love my wife. I treasure her. She's the second best thing that's ever happened to me. I tell her this all the time. And she reciprocates. She says, Jim, you're the second best thing that's ever happened to me. It's good to appreciate your spouse and love your spouse. But we know God is first. And because God is first, I actually know how to love my spouse. Right? <laughs> so if you get Jesus in the right spot, you can actually do the rest of your jobs the way God expects. So Moses, verse 26, he's looking. What is he looking at? We talked about it Tuesday night. He's looking at the reward. He's looking at heaven. He's looking at God. He's looking at a billion eternities as opposed to 80 years. It's what Moses is looking at. He looks at the reward. Let me read verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. This is how Moses processed daily life. He looked at God. He didn't look at the calamity. He didn't look at the hard circumstance. He didn't look at the emergency. He didn't look at the cost. He didn't look at the risk. He looked at God. This is a lesson for you and me. <laughs> will you look at God or will you look at will you you know, will you spend your whole life looking at the stuff? God means for you to look beyond the stuff and through the stuff and look at him and be a spiritual warrior. Right? Do the word. Do 
the Word. And Moses faced the same decision you and I face, you know? He could choose Egypt or he could choose God. You get to choose the world or you get to choose God. It's the same, it's the same thing. There's no difference here. Absolutely no difference. You have the same decision to make. I will choose to love and devote myself to the world or I give myself away to the living God. It's up to you. It's your choice. It's a no-brainer. Moses, by his life, says, I choose God. I choose God. One of my favorite preachers in the States, John MacArthur, he says this about the text. From a worldly perspective, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. But from a spiritual perspective, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. True believers get this. If following Christ costs me everything, including my life, it's gain. We get this. This is not something we stumble over. This is not something that is hard to understand. This is not something we even struggle with very much. We get it. If we've met Him, we get it. We get it. He's better. He's better. He is absolutely better. He was looking to the reward. Real believers really believe. It's why we live like strangers and exiles as the text says in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. 13. Moses was looking at God. His life says, I love this beautiful God and I'm on my way to Him to spend forever with Him. So, it's the believing is seeing thing. And I just want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you. Is that how it is with you and God? I'm pushing that envelope of, of believing and seeing. Believing and seeing. I'm going to give you three short testimonies. Uh, one, of you, one of you you've heard before. Um, I told you I was converted at 28. and I, I started reading through the Bible and bam, I ran into Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say, you say, how have we robbed you? And God says in tithes and offerings. So there it was in black and white. I was a God robber. Um, uh, yeah, I'd never read that text before because I didn't care. <laughs> and I'd been in church all my life. But you know, how does somebody give a tithe or more to God? How do they do it? How can you possibly do that? It made no sense. Some of you know I was a financial manager in my former life. And it just... You know, it just grind. It just was like, it, you know, it, it it was hard for me to to wrap my mind around it. But I realized, you know, two verses later, God says this. But if you believe me, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing that uh, the earth cannot hold. It's like, you know. God convicts you in verse eight, and then He shows you your way out in verse ten. And it's like I realize God's calling me to believe. How could I possibly do this? He's calling me to, to believe and then see later. And I'll just give you my short testimony. 34 years later, God has been utterly faithful to me and my family. My family's never been in want ever, not one time. I praise God for that. Giving in a way that God calls His people to give it's a believing is seeing kind of deal. I'll give you another one. I went to seminary. Some of you know, late in life at 42, I quit a job and my career, I had four kids 
getting ready to go to university. It made no sense. It was ridiculous. It was dumb. It was stupid. It was careless. It was reckless. I heard all this. Um, I'll just make it short. God showed up. Believing was seeing. Lastly, Karen and I coming to Milan. The church was dead. There was only three people who cared. They didn't have enough money to pay us. <laughs> no man in his right mind would come here. <laughs> it's been believing and seeing for 13 years now. Okay? I'm trying to give you some sense. Sometimes you simply have to believe God and act. And when you do, trust me, God will show up. Okay. Thank you, Jim, for that long introduction. Let's get into the text. I'm going to pick up here at verse 45. It tells us that the Galileans received Jesus. They had seen Him at Passover and the things He had done down in Jerusalem. Also, verse 46 tells us that they had heard of the water to wine. A miracle in Canaan. Now, Canaan's only a few miles away. We're back up in Galilee. This is where Jesus is from. He kind of has a reputation. And these people are really interested in Him, and I'm not going to go into detail, but if you study the text in detail and the context surrounding this, this passage, you realize these people are really simply enamored in the fact that He can do miracles. They're kind of really just wanting to know what they can get out of Him, right? And this is what you see in much of... Uh, or at least in some of Christianity today, people, you know, using God to get a blessing. It's more about using God to get what I want from God. This is kind of what is going on with these people. You may notice Jesus says, a prophet has no honor in his own country. He's returning to his country, and there seems to be honor, but it's kind of a feigned honor. It's like, I just want something from him. I want some of his power on me. Man, how much of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is that in, does that uh, fold into? You know, there always, there always is a false kind of belief, right? Believing in Jesus in such a way. we got a booklet in the, in the bookshelf there. Wasted faith. <laughs> There's a kind of faith that doesn't save. It's the kind of thing these people they, they just they just wanted a piece of God like he was a good luck charm you know I just want a miracle it's really all I want I don't love God I want to use God that's really I know it's not explicit in the text but this is part of what's going on his celebrity had grown and the people were interested in his power he will do many miracles while he is in Galilee um, and as verse 46 tells us, there is a royal official whose son is sick. Uh, this, it's believed that this man is probably an official in King Herod's court. Verse 47, let me pick up and read. When this man heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of... Death. Now, this royal official traveled about 20 miles to, uh, from Cana to uh, seek out help from this former carpenter 
from Nazareth. There's a fundamental truth here that I get to share as a pastor many times. If this man's son wasn't sick, would he be seeking Jesus out? What do you think? No. He wouldn't be seeking Jesus out. If his life was just perfect, he wouldn't be seeking Jesus out. But he rolled out of bed one morning and he saw death on his son's face. And he needed God, right? Isn't this what God does in His providence in our lives? You know, I want to say this right because it occurred to me that you know when life is good and smooth and agreeable, most of us walk around in a kind of thoughtless thanklessness. Am I right? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm sure you're all guilty just like me taking almost every last thing for granted every single day. But this man saw death on his son's face and he thought, I need God. You know, it's the greatest unfelt need. You need God. And sometimes in the providence of God, God brings you face to face with the fact that you need God. Most of the time, He's kind of a small detail, <laughs> right? And then we're face to face with life and death and heaven and hell. It'll happen for every single person in this room and every single human being on the planet. God will bring you face to face with your helplessness, your impotence. You are impotent. You know, I am so... I, it's just so tires, tiresome. You know, the... the breast beating of man in the world, you know, there's so, man is so proud of himself, man can do almost anything, you know. Man can do anything. Do, you know that a microbe you can't even see will take you out in about two hours? Do you realize you're dust in the wind? Do you realize you're nothing before a holy God lest you be in Christ Jesus? I get tired of all this arrogance and haughtiness I'm sure you do too. You just That's all you see on the media. Proud men, right? <laughs> yeah, it's sad. It is sad. But this man seeks God out. He realizes he, he has a need. He has a need. And he comes and he seeks God out. And God, He doesn't answer the way the man wants, Right? Jesus, verse 48. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see a sign and see wonders, you simply will not believe. Now, I think Jesus is rebuking the whole crowd. He knows they're out there to get a miracle. It's not about loving God, seeking God, wanting God, worshiping God. It's about, I want a miracle in my life. Health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what I want. Give it to me. Jesus knows why these people are out there. And so he's, he's not only awakening a different kind of faith in this man, he's awakening a different kind of faith in all of the spectators. And the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he started out. So what's happened here? He hasn't seen anything. Okay, small, small side note on prayer. Jesus doesn't answer the prayer that the man in the way that the man wants. The man wants Jesus to come to Capernaum. Jesus is not going to Capernaum. Here's a, there's a good lesson here. Are you okay with God answering your prayer in a different way than you expected and desired? Is it okay with you? Is it okay with you? Are you okay with that? I talk to many Christians who are simply not okay with it. They expect God to do their bidding, right? He's their hey boy. Do what I want, and I want it now. I know we don't use those kinds of words, but that's the attitude that's in the background of most of our hearts. I want God to perform for me now. And if He doesn't, there'll be consequences, at least on my end, right? I'm this, I'll not pray anymore. I'll not go to church anymore. Like that hurts God. It doesn't hurt God at all. It hurts you. You lose. If you turn your back to God, you lose, beloved. God doesn't lose anything. Just a side note in prayer. Are you willing to be like Jesus in the garden? Father, Your will, not mine. Are you willing to do that? Do you know Him and trust Him enough to let God just have it? I tell you this all the time. As a Christian for 34 years and as an old man now, um, I pretty much just pray God's will. It's, it's certainly good to make your requests known, make your petitions known. This is all great. It's good. We're invited to do that. But what I really want at the end of the day is God's will. That's what I want. He knows better than I do, actually, I think. You know? I know for sure. So, this man is believing without seeing. Right? He hasn't seen anything. And... He starts off. He hasn't seen anything, but he starts off. This is faith. This is faith. We talked about it a few weeks ago. James 2, 14 and 20. Faith without works is what? Someone tell me. Faith without works is? Dead. Useless. Meaningless. Barren. Faith without works is nothing, according to the Scripture. Now, this man does a kind of work. He believes the Word of Jesus and he's off. That's all he needed to hear was a word from Jesus and he's off. This is a work. I believe. I go. As commanded. Again, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of James 2.17 is, is my favorite of the Message Bible. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. And it is. <laughs> it's why much of Christendom is outrageous nonsense. You say, Jim, that's pretty strong. I know. I've been studying it and looking at it and reading about it for 34 years now. And you've got a lot of outrageous nonsense going on. And we're, I'm going to take you right back to what we talked about at the beginning. Christianity is real simple. I believe and I'm saved. I believe and I obey. Basta. Yeah, there's a lot of beautiful theology all around that. But when it comes, when it comes down to the, 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 the rubber meeting the road, 
This is what we're talking about. It makes me think of Mark chapter 3. You remember that great text where the guy with the withered hand, right? The guy with the withered hand. And Jesus said, stretch it out. Well, he couldn't stretch it out, right? He tried a million times. His, his arm is, is shriveled. It's deformed. It's paralyzed. It's lame. It's withered. He cannot stretch it out. God says, do it. And what happens? As he begins to stretch it out, it begins to stretch out. What happens? It's the power of God and the latent faith of the man together. His hand is stretched out. It was impossible, but he did it. You say, Jim, I think God's calling me to something that's impossible. Of course He is. Of course He's going to call you to something hard. Of course He is. He gets no glory if anybody can do it. But if you believe and obey when it's costly and risky and hard, He gets the glory and we get what? Chinelo would know. Eleni knows. Joy. He always gets the glory. We get the joy. So this man stretches out his hand. He hadn't seen anything. He just heard God. And I'm asking you, will you obey God without having to see something? Can you just hear, can you just hear God speak to you through His Word and take action? Will you do it? Let me tell you, if you do, it'll be the most fun you've ever had on this planet. Okay, I'm an old man. I've been doing this a while. I was converted pretty late, 28. But the most fun I've ever had on the planet was giving myself to Christ and watching Him do amazing things. It's why I love to preach to young people, man. You know, you got what? 60 years maybe. You've got 60 years of fun if you will walk with Christ. I'm talking about real fun. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about momentary pleasure that's here today and gone tomorrow. I'm talking about stuff that, that, that you know, makes your soul echo forever. This is what I'm talking about. Some of you still think the world's going to make it happen for you. And I'm just telling you, as an old man, it will never make it happen for you. The perfect job, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect kids, the perfect portfolio. It's not going to make it happen for you. But going with Jesus, going with Jesus... Well, so let's close out here. Verse 51. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said therefore to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when He had come out of Judea 
into Galilee. Do you see what happened? He believed. Then God did what God did, and he believed more. And then guess what? He's going to obey God again, and then God's going to do what God does, and then he's going to believe more. And then, and then you know, he's going to do what God said again, and then God's going to do what God does, and then he's going to believe more. This is Christianity. It never stops unless you stop. Unless you get comfortable somewhere and you decide, I'm going to sit down. I'm, I've had, I got enough of God. I don't want any more of God. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to live in security and comfort. That's the most important thing to me. You lose. See, when we come in here, okay, we talk about real stuff. And you don't know how much I want this for you. I, if I could give this, if I could hand this off to you, I would hand it off to you. But I, I can't do it. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and I'm not a perfect man. I got a lot of issues, and I got things I got to fix and deal with, right? But one thing I've learned if I obey God, I win. I gain. I get God. And at the end of the day, the older you get, the more you realize that's really what matters. God matters. <laughs> he, he matters supremely. He matters supremely. So we all struggle in this realm, this faith realm. It's not natural. Yes, you guessed it. It is supernatural. We all come to God with a withered soul and a withered view of God. And God says, I'm awesome. Believe me. Obey me. And I'll blow you away. And beloved, He will. He will. I want you to believe. And I want you to obey. Yeah. It's just fun. <laughs> it's just fun. So we must not only believe that God is, we must believe that He's good. We must believe He's a rewarder. We must believe He is a promise keeper. So I ask you, are you seeking God? Are you getting to know God? Are you learning to trust God? Are you willing to obey God? with glad, reckless joy. This is what God means for the rest of your life to look like. So here you are. For good or ill, here you are. God brought you here tonight to hear this challenge. Don't you dare settle anymore. Not one more day. I am God's spokesman and I have been sent here Today, to challenge every one of you, don't you settle anymore. You believe God. You obey God. And you encounter God. And you will never be sorry. And when we meet on the other side, we'll sit under a tree in the new heaven and the new earth. And you can tell me how faithful God was, how trustworthy God was in your little teeny life. You know, I tell you all the time, you say, well, Jim, my life doesn't matter. Wrong! If you're a child of God, it matters. God means to do miracles through you. He means that, that people would be saved through you. He means for churches to exist that shouldn't exist through you. Beloved,
You know, this is the hard thing about being a preacher. You can't say it well enough. You can never say it big enough and beautiful enough and awesome enough. But I'm done. I invite you to believe because if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank You for this beautiful, this beautiful Word. Thank You. Father, I pray You change every one of our lives in here. I've got miles to go. I suspect some others in here do as well. Lord, have Your way with us. Push us around. Teach us. Challenge us. Motivate us. If we're hung up on something in the world, Father, break us of that. Break that sin in our life. Break that idol. Lord God, we want to go with You. Help us. We are weak. You know our frame. Help us, Father. Help us. We need Your help. We don't want to live small anymore. We don't want to conform anymore. We want to be strangers and aliens and exiles. We want to be pointing at the new heaven and the new earth. We want to be pointing at that day we stand before You. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, Father. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be weak. We cry out to You. We know our impotence. We know our helplessness. We need You, Lord. We need You. Help us, we pray, in the matchless and wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus. It's in His glorious name that we pray. Amen. Josh, can we do a song? Let's close with a song.